Amen. Uh, take your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And we'll start in verse number 31. If you notice, Josh is not here. He found out I was preaching, so he, uh, he got sick. So pray for him. I'd come down with a bug or something. So uh, Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, we'll just read one verse for now. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 31. Uh, the Bible says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Let's pray. God, love you. Thank you for the day. Thank you for the opportunity to stand here in, in uh, pastor's absence. And I pray that you'd help me, Lord, and hide me behind the cross, get me out of the way, that your spirit would have free reign here tonight. Uh, and uh, God, just thank you again for all that are here. Again, just watch over our preacher. Help Josh, too. Uh, Lord, get over this bug. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Um, throughout our lifetime, I've read the average person will will make over seven hundred and seventy three thousand decisions, and uh, out of those seven hundred and seventy three thousand decisions, he'll come to regret one hundred and forty three plus thousand of those uh, decisions. And you know, again, we're making decisions every day. Most times, we don't even realize we're making decisions just because that's just how we're doing through our, our day. But you made the decision to come here. You, you, you made a decision what you were going to wear, what you were going to eat. Uh, you made a decision what time you were going to get up this morning and read your Bible. Uh, you know, we make decisions about school, finishing it or don't finish it. Uh, we make uh, decisions about where we're going to live, what we're going to buy, maybe financial investments, something like that. Obviously, probably the most important decision you'd make in your life is, is your eternity, heaven or hell. Uh, and that definitely needs to be settled. Uh, marriage, you know, you definitely want to be wise and, and have the Lord in on that, who you marry. You don't want a Jezebel or an Ahab or something like that. But again, we're always making decisions. And what I want to talk about tonight is probably, you know, it's equally as important. Again, it's a decision that we're going to have to either choose or refuse to make. Um, refusing to make this decision, you're going to start beginning to start building up walls in your life and uh, walls around uh, to, just to keep those um, around you out. Again, uh, sinking into misery uh, will be the result of, of making a wrong choice here. You know, Christ said in Luke uh, chapter 17, 1, then said his disciples, under the disciples, it is impossible, but that offenses will come. And uh, we could define a, uh, an offense as a breach of a law or rule or an illegal act or an annoyance, a resentment brought about by a perceived insult. And, uh, you know, so if you are offended or have been offended, someone has breached your level of, of tolerance. But Christ said, you know, offenses will come. And, you know, in our lifetime, we're going to be offended, we're going to be hurt, we're going to be slandered, we're going to be gossiped about. Um, that's just life and welcome to uh, just life with people. Again, out of the uh, 773,000 decisions we're going to make in our lifetime, there's one very important decision. I believe that, that decision is, is to forgive. Uh, now, I was going to preach this message at the, uh, the uh, New Year's um, service, but God changed my direction. I know Brother Weeb uh, preached a bit on, on forgiveness, but there's a word in our text that's really, that's the word I'm after. And um, again, to forgive is going to be a decision that we'll need to make over and over and over again. Uh, but I, but I'm, I'm almost certain that out of the 143,000 decisions that we'll come to regret, I don't believe forgiveness will be one of those ones. In fact, I think if we refuse to forgive, 
that might be one of the decisions that we do uh, regret. Um, so I want to preach on this thought. There is a cure. There is a cure. So the first point is the poison of bitterness. Again, that one word we're chasing after is uh, bitterness. Uh, Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. I believe one of the most destructive sins that are finding its way inside the church today uh, is bitterness. Um, people leave churches because of bitterness. Uh, people split churches uh, because of bitterness. Uh, but turn over to uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, and we want verse number 15. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 15, it says, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up uh, trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Again, if you look at who the bitterness uh, hurts or affects, it says trouble you. It's not troubling somebody else, it's troubling you. Again, the longer that bitterness goes unchecked, the more damaging that it becomes. You know, it'll affect you physically, emotionally, and spiritually. You know, it's like, uh, it's like um, uh, rust. Rust will start with a, usually a small spot that you don't see. It goes undetected. You know, a little, little water, a little grime and all that stuff gets in there. The next thing you know, you start to see a little bubbling in your paint. Uh, but you know what? The damage is done behind that thing. And so again... If it goes unchecked, it will spread further and spread around your car, weakening and eating away the material till there's nothing but a big hole. And again, that's the same thing as bitterness. If you just allow that thing to just sit there and dwell and fester and all that stuff, you know, it'll start small, uh, but that root is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And uh, again, so bitterness will do the same thing. Small inward thought gets into a big thing and then it begins to show itself outwardly. You know, your countenance will change, your attitude change, and your, your words will change. You'll begin to get a little sharp with people. Um, rocker panels. Uh, most honest shops will not safety your vehicle if your rocker panels are shot. In fact, we, uh, our, we took our car to Autopack, whenever it was, we had hail damage. And uh, the guy just happened to just <laughs> look at the rocker panels and he said to my wife, he said, whoa, those are bad. And uh, he was actually going to take our car off the road that day when she said, well, you know what? We have no intentions of selling this car or doing anything with it. We're just going to drive it till it dies. Anyway, he, he let her leave with the car. Uh, but again, bitterness is just like that. If you let that thing go unchecked, um, you know what? It's going to, uh, it'll weaken your integrity just as rocker uh, panels that are shot will weaken the integrity and really, by faith, our seats are still hanging in there. I'm surprised they haven't fell through the floor into the ground yet. But um, again, rust can affect your integrity, so we're bitterness, and, uh, and that's the poison of bitterness. You know, uh, rust left untreated, it doesn't ever start where it, uh, stay where it started. Uh, it begins to just grow and grow. It's like cancer. It's like cancer. And you know what? Bitterness, the same thing. It never remains neutral or stagnant. Again, um, and not only ourselves we need to be worried, but I think, you know, we, we, can, we need to be on the lookout for, for bitterness uh, uh, for those in people around us. I think most of us are, are wise, and, you know, we can usually tell when somebody's off, uh, again, by maybe what they say, um, how they respond. And, you know, oftentimes they don't stick around. You know, they'll begin to distance themselves from people. 
Again, that's bitterness. Look over there in Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. And uh, verse number 5 and 6. Genesis chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. But unto Cain and his offering he had not respect, and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is their countenance fallen? Here's a prime example of, of someone's countenance changing. Their appearance, bitterness does that. Again, you know, God or Cain didn't have to say a word, but God just saw it on his face, his expressions and his mannerisms. Uh, but continue on here in verse number 8 and 9. I said that um, bitterness will also, you know, cause you to have sharp words and stuff like that. But look at 8 and 9, uh, Cain's response here. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when, he, uh, when they were in the field uh, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? Again, so that's that what we're seeing there. Those were fairly sharp responses from a bitter person. You know, if we sense that kind of spirit in someone, we need to pray for that person, but lovingly pray. Lovingly pray. I'll go to, if you want to follow along, uh, James chapter 5. James chapter 5. I was listening to a message uh, the other day, and um, they were turning the Bible, and, and, and you could hear the pages turning. And, uh, and the preacher said, man, I just love that sound. It just... Uh, I think it's good. We can just turn pages in our Bible. But James chapter 5, number 16, it says, Confess your faults to one another and pray for one another. We need to pray for the brethren. Again, more often and not, and it's unfortunate, but you know, your bitterness, uh, and someone can plant bitterness in you, whether it's just by, uh, by uh, something that they've said, uh, something that they've been annoyed by. But again, sometimes, you know, planting bitterness is intentional. But sometimes, you know, we need to read them within ourselves and think, well, Maybe it was unintentional. A person's intentions might not have been to hurt or offend you, but you know what? You probably took it that way. You know, hurt can be imaginative. Isn't it true? I'm pretty sure that we've all thought and mused on something in our brains and thought, well, why did they say that? Or how come they said it that way or something like that? You know, we begin to fester on those things, start imagining things. We're speculating now without a reasonable doubt that it was intentional, that they purposely set out to hurt us or assault us. You know, by not dealing it, dealing with the hurt that someone's caused us by the grace of God, you'll only continue to fertilize that root of bitterness, enabling it to get bigger and bigger. I looked up that, uh, that word bitterness. It's defined as extreme enmity, grudge, or hatred. And, you know, it's a fairly serious thing. In fact, God, uh, a carnal mind is enmity towards God or against God. So enmity is the quality of being an enemy, the opposite of friendship, ill will, hatred, unfriendly dispositions. You know, it's hard to believe, you know, that God, as much as God has forgiven us, and so deserving are we of hell, that we would consider a brother and sister in Christ enmity and not forgive them for uh, something far less than what we have done against God. I wonder how many people each of us would have thrown in hell by now because they hurt us, offended us, stepped on our toes. But God, we praise you. We're not God. I thank God. You know what? If not careful, bitterness will draw you into apostasy. Your, uh, your testimony will be shot. And those that you possibly could influence to get saved, that'll be out the window. It'll be out the window. 
Again, you know, roots under the ground, they'll wrap themselves whatever they, whatever they come in contact with. Other roots, if there's foreign objects under that ground, they'll just wrap themselves around. You know what, that's like an anchor. And you know, you go to try and pull that root out, man, it is in there, it is in there. You know what, bitter, bitterness. If you continue to dwell on those things that hurt you or offended you and you just wrap that root of bitterness around that thing, it gets harder and harder for it to get yanked out. You know, a bitter, a bitter person will not admit that they're bitter. Only somebody that is honest with themselves will admit it, and they'll seek God for help. Most people who are bitter, in fact, will deny it or even disguise it. These steeped in bitterness are hypersensitive, ungrateful, and insincere, and you might even find them moody. James 3.14 says, But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. I believe that you are deceived. Anybody that's in bitterness is deceived. An unforgiving spirit is sin. Someone said this, bitterness is also a result of anger that changes from an experience to a belief. So you've gone through a circumstance, something has happened to you. That's, that's the experience. The belief now is, now you begin to believe why they did it, and they did it for the wrong reasons. They did it to insult you, they did it to hurt you. You say such and such happened to me, that's the experience. And then you begin to believe why it happened to you. It was intentional. You know, your mind will take you to all kinds of reasons and ideas. And the more that you allow your mind to brew on these things, the angrier you'll become over that trespass against you. And because you've now considered these things in your mind for hours, days, or weeks, you'll distance yourself from whomever. And congratulations, it's a boy. Bitterness is born. Look over to Ruth. Ruth chapter, here's a prime example, Ruth. Ruth chapter 1. I'm going to get there. Ruth chapter 1, starting in uh, verse number 19. Ruth chapter 1, verse number 19. So they too went until they came uh, to Bethlehem, and it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them, and they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and uh, the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye, uh, ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath uh, afflicted me? You know, her bitterness, and most often uh, bitterness is actually um, directed at God. Directed uh, or indirectly, it's, it's all pointed at God. Think about this, you know, what did Job's wife say? Curse God and what? Die. God, it's your fault. It's your fault. Again, whether you agree or not, bitterness is aimed towards God. I think it's safe to say that, you know what, Naomi had a lot of grief and a lot of heartache. We don't, we don't take that from her. Um, but could we say that her bitter, bitterness was legitimate? Paul says we're to put bitterness away from you. Look at verse number 20. This is how Naomi sees God's dealing with her. Verse number 20, it says, For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. Verse number 21, I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Verse number 21, again, the Lord hath testified against me. And again, verse number 20 at the end, and the Almighty hath afflicted me. It's God's fault that this happened to me. It's his fault that I'm empty and afflicted. Really, the bitter, I guess if you were going to blame anybody, it should have been to her husband. And, um, but again, she was wrong, blaming the wrong person. 
Some might say, well, it's true, it is God's fault. You know, had there not been a famine in the land, then they wouldn't have to go down to Moab. Well, look at verse number 19, because I don't believe um, um, they might have been the only ones to leave. Look at verse number 19. So they went to, until they came to Bethlehem, and it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them, and they said, this is Naomi. <laughs> so not everyone chose to leave the country. Most of them decided to stay and trust God. Again, so if you're bitter tonight, it's not legitimate. God, I have a right to be bitter. Did you see what they've done to me? And you know what the Lord says? No, you don't. No, you don't. Do you remember what I did for thee? Again, we don't have any, uh, <clears throat> any right to be uh, bitter. But you know what? Most don't choose to get bitter like in the city here, they stayed, but rather to forgive. Bitterness says, I was full, Lord, but you, you made me empty. But you know, Job's response to that was, and said, naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return the Lord, or thither, and the Lord gave, Lord hath taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Lord, you're against me. Well, Psalm 118.6 says, the Lord is on my side, it will not fear what man can do unto me. Oh, Lord, you're the cause of my affliction. Well, Psalm 34, 19 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth them out of them all. Again, Naomi was blaming God for the reason that her life was now void of everything that she loved. You know the name Naomi means pleasantness? Again, those people came out of the city to greet Naomi, and they said, Is this Naomi? You know, they remembered her, but possibly she looked a little different. We talked about countenance and words before. Again, look at her response. Well, it's not I'll read, but verse number 20. She said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath God dealt very bitterly with me. You know, God never changed her name. She did. She did. Could it be that the people, uh, when, they, uh, when the people questioned whether it was the same Naomi or not, she no longer resembled that pleasant name? Naomi was no longer that pleasant woman that they once knew before she left Bethlehem. Again, her countenance changed, and even her words changed. While blaming God for her emptiness and affliction, she failed to let go of the hurts and the pains that happened in Moab. Do you know, bitter people will blame others for their troubles. You know, if they perhaps stayed in Judah like everybody else did, maybe her husband and sons would still be alive. But you know what? There was a silver lining to that thing because she failed to recognize that by bringing Ruth home, that was setting up the genealogy for the future king of Israel. Ruth gave birth to Obed, and he was the father of Jesse, who was father of David. Can you continue to read the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1? But you know, the Bible says that all things work together for good. Then not love God. You know, bitter people make it all about them. Nobody understands me. Nobody knows what I've been through. Well, you know what? I think we've all been through some things. Naomi lived as a bitter person that stemmed from the loss of relationships. Again, she tried to push her daughter-in-laws away. One, she succeeded, and the other one refused to, and she, she came. Thank God for that. Again, when you're bitter, you're making that choice to give up relationships. Bitterness is, a, is as much of a choice as forgiveness is hard feelings take over rather than letting go you and I are deceived if we think that we will not ever experience hurt in our lives it's just life we're going to be hurt in our homes we're going to be hurt at work we're going to be hurt out there in the world and you know what we're even going to be hurt in the church it's life it's people 
Proverbs 19.11 says, The discretion of a man defers his anger, and it is a glory to pass over transgression. You know what the Hebrew says? It says, let it go. Just let it go. Let it go. Again, we've all experienced hurt at one time or another. God be praised. You know what? I praise God that uh, he's passed over many, many of my transgressions. And you know what? He's cast them behind his back to never remember them anymore. Think about the woman that had caught adultery. Think about the Pharisees. They grabbed this woman. But let's suppose it wasn't adultery. Let's, let's suppose that when they brought her to the Lord, they said, Lord, this woman has hurt us. She's offended us. And she said some pretty mean things about us. Well, I don't think that there's anything in the Bible that would, the sentence would be death by stoning. But let's just suppose that the Lord says, all right, well, he that has not hurt somebody or offended somebody or said many things, well, we'll let them first cast the stone. I wonder how many would be standing there. None. None. I'm sure every spouse is hurt, offended, and said something they shouldn't have. And if you're not married, then you've said something or said something you shouldn't have. You've hurt maybe your plant or your pet. You know, <clears throat> we all have a choice. Let it go or get bitter. And you know what? None of us, none of us could throw a stone. We're all guilty. Bitterness and unforgiveness holds people hostage. But you know who the, who the hostage is? It's the person that is bitter. You know, December 29th of this year in Winnipeg, there was a hostage situation. And you know who was killed? It was the hostage taker. It wasn't the people that he held hostage. It was the man himself. Bitter people. Oh, I read that already. Uh, yeah. Again, the people in Naomi's land weren't her because she was bitter. She was the only one that was hurt in that whole situation. She took it upon herself to change her name. They knew her as Naomi Pleasant, but again, she was very quick to let everyone know that she no longer wanted to be called by that. She, she wanted to be called bitter. Again, she's hurting herself. You know, if we're not careful, an, an abandoned spouse might uh, become bitter in God, say, God, don't you see I'm struggling here? I'm the one that was faithful. Why are you letting them prosper and move on with life while I'm struggling even to pay the bills? If we're not careful, we'd be tempted to charge God like that. The childless couple may become bitter when they see other families have a quiver full of, of children, and yet they can't even have one. You need to be careful. God, I'm living right, serving you. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Why is it they have children and I don't have children? Again, that's a charge that we could say against God. Bitterness deceives you into thinking that God doesn't care about you. Bitterness will have you believing that uh, because God is not coming to your defense, you now need to become the judge, juror, and executioner of your own life to those who have caused you your hurt. The poison of bitterness will have you dwelling on the injustice that has been done to you. You'll think, you know what, this isn't fair. And that root again gets bitter, bigger and bigger and it's growing, gaining a stronger hold in your heart. Someone said bitterness is just harbored hurt. You're harboring that thing. You're holding on to that thing. <coughs> if you've got bitterness in your heart towards someone, I think deep down you're probably going to be blaming God. Essentially you're saying, God, you shouldn't have let this into my life. Why are they getting away with it? Bitterness is a poison and it's a falling of the, from the grace of God in your life. Remember that we've all caused and experienced hurt at one time. So who are we to harbor that against somebody else?
Again, what you choose to do with that hurt will determine whether you become free of bitterness or hostage to it. That was my longest point. Second one here we'll breeze through, but it's the, so we've looked at the poison of bitterness. Secondly is the pandemic of bitterness. And back in Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, the pandemic, we're all familiar with that word. I'm sick of that word, but Hebrews 12, verse 15 says, Looking diligent, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness bringing up, uh, up trouble you, and thereby many de- be defiled. What's the last four words there? Thereby many be defiled. Again, a pandemic is an outbreak, typically of a, of a virus. It no longer resides with where it was either created or who it's uh, in, but it begins to spread. Again, a carrier is not isolated and quarantined. He will begin to spread that virus to others. Infected people who travel other countries will infect others, and when they'll bring it back, again, it continues and continues, resulting in a pandemic. It's out of control. Bitterness will not reside in your heart forever. At some point, it will spring up and spring forth. It's like a pot on the stove. You, uh, you fill it up with water. You crank that thing on high. That's how I cook. I like to cook on high. I want to get it done so I can get eating. And, uh, you know, you'll start to see the small little bubbles form, and eventually those will start rising to the top, and then bigger ones. And it'll, that process of boiling will start to speed and speed and speed. Pretty soon, you've got a rapid boil. And if you were to just let that thing continue, what happens? The water boils over onto the stove. If you keep the element on high, again, it boils over the sides. So too, like bitterness. Bitterness will do the same thing. The more you think on the thing that hurt you, the longer you think on it, it will begin to manifest itself outwardly. Again, our text says it will defile many. Bitterness is not something that starts and stops. It becomes a lifestyle. It will change your spirit and countenance. It will control your thoughts and your actions. And any form of spirituality you thought you had will be gone. Again, pandemic does not only affect you, but it will affect others around you. Like a virus, if you have a bitter person in your home or your church, it won't be long before one or more are infected. The verse says others will be defiled. Your defilement will affect those around you, and they too will begin to head down bitterness avenue. Misery loves company, so does bitterness. Like the annoying weeds in your garden that just seem to multiply overnight, so too bitterness will multiply. I believe that uh, any bitterness spread is intentional because bitterness looks for others to infect. How? By evil speaking. That's how it's done. You're disgruntled. You're upset about something. I've got to tell somebody. I can't just keep this to myself. And then, oh, so-and-so said this and so-and-so said that. You're spreading bitterness. bitter person fails to realize that, you know, they're going to be held accountable for their words and actions. You know, bitterness will cause you to lose your effectiveness to reach others for Christ. How can you possibly witness when you are completely filled with bitterness? Your testimony will be shot, and uh, you'll lose relationship with God and others. By you infecting others, those infected will lose those same things. Again, we cannot coexist with bitterness and we cannot cope or manage it 
If it's not dealt with, it will destroy you and others. The only cure for bitterness is forgiveness. Again, forgiveness is the roundup for bitterness. Once infected, you become a carrier. AIDS, hepatitis, chickenpox, corona, dengue, all that. You get those things you're a carrier, and those things will spread. If you're bitter tonight, you're a carrier. The poison of bitterness, we've considered the pandemic of bitterness. Third is the possession of bitterness. You know, we've had uh, people come and go, I imagine. I think we probably all say, man, they really had a bad spirit. Or we've had preachers come behind here and told us of a meeting that had a bad spirit behind that thing. I heard a preacher one time say, you know what, he came to preach this revival somewhere in the States. And, and uh, he was getting ready to preach and just like, whoa, man, something is just not right here. So he uh, the pastor decided, you know what, I'm not preaching until we get this thing right. So anyway, through the process of time, it turns out that two ladies came forth. One stood over here, one stood over there. And these ladies had something against each other for over 20 years. They said, we're not doing anything with this meeting until this thing gets settled. Well, it ultimately did get settled. And ladies squared it away, got it right, and, and everything else. But bitterness, it's bitterness. Uh, possession. I said the possession of bitterness. Well, you can define that as the state of being under the power of demons or invisible beings, madness, lunacy, or de demoni de demon de demoniacal possession. And it's true. I believe that we can be possessed uh, if it means, you know, of our soul, absolutely not. But I believe that satanic forces can kind of overpower us and get us to do things. And you think about uh, Christ when he said to Peter, get thee behind me. Satan. Peter said to Ananias and Sapphira, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? Paul said this. I need you to look at this. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I thought I had more time until we got to Brother Hazard's letter. <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 11 learning a new Bible here. Every time I get up and preach, i got a new Bible. Lest Satan should get an advantage over us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Oh, what's that saying? Well, if you were to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it's talking about a man that was in fornication with, well, should have his father's wife. And, you know, the church was tolerating that thing. But if you go back there, it talks about um, a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. And uh, it talks about uh, put away from you that wicked one, and they weren't supposed to be tolerating that, ha have no fellowship with, with a fornicator and all that stuff, so not to eat with such a person like that. So they put this man out of the church. So what we're dealing with here in, in this chapter 2, if you were to go back up to chapter 4 through 11, we don't have time, but Paul is now saying, you know what, this man has got, him, got it right, and you need to forgive this man, and you need to bring him back into the fold. Uh, but he mentions forgiveness, you know, several times in that. And so that's, again, but that goes along what we're trying to say here. Just, just forgive. Again, um, satanic forces control our mind, body, health, wealth. I believe that. I don't believe they have a possession over our soul. Absolutely not. We've got too many verses talking about who's in control of our soul after we get saved. Uh, again, this church was tolerating it. Paul said, don't. But when he got it right, he told them to forgive. Forgive. You know, the angel said to the two Marys there, after uh, Christ had buried, he rose, he wasn't there. Uh, but he said, you know what? Um, go tell the disciples and Peter 
And Peter, well, why did he single him out? Because I don't imagine Peter felt very good when after denying the Lord and cursing and swearing, all those types of things. He probably didn't even think that he was worthy to be called a disciple or an apostle. I'm sure we've all felt the same way. We've messed up. Think, man, I really blew it. But, you know, the Lord wanted to assure Peter of his compassion and forgiveness, restoring him to his apostolic position. Bitterness, if it's not handled, it'll blow out the candle of joy. And uh, it'll leave you in darkness. Bitterness is a prison with a long sentence if it's not dealt with. Bitterness is a dictator. It's controlling. And if it's not, uh, you continue to be under its possession, again, you're in bitterness. Peter confronted Simon the sorcerer and said, you're in the gall of bitterness. Well, you know, the Bible says, where did that thing start? It started in his heart. It says, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. It starts in the heart. Again, God is never the cause of our problems. He's the answer to all our problems. And if we've ever said that, God, I forgive you, uh, we're admitting that God made a mistake and he's never made a mistake. The Bible said in Psalm 119, 165, Great peace have they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them. If you're offended, you need to get in this book. And then Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. We've never been beaten, scourged, spit upon, hair ripped out, nails driven through our hands and feet. We've never had a crown of thorns thrusted on our head. But you know what? He said, Father, I forgive him. You need to forgive him too. Stephen, before, when he was stoned before he died, Lord, lay not this into their charge. I don't believe any of us have been stoned to the point of death. Stephen was echoing the Lord on that thing. Forgive him, Lord. You know, preaching. If the Bible doesn't do it, preaching ought to do it. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up my vo- thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgressions, and the house of Jacob their sins. That's what God chose to reach people as well, preaching. When was the last time preaching has moved you into a life-changing decision? Don't harden yourselves to the thing that God is doing to free you from the possession of bitterness. There's only one choice, and that is forgiveness. You know, we can put off bitterness by the power of forgiveness. 1 John 4.20 If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen... How can the lo- he love God whom he's not seen? Mark eleven twenty five. And when you stand praying, forgive. If you have aught against uh, any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespassers. We're told to forgive. Lastly, real quick, poison of forgiveness, pandemic of bitterness, the possession of bitterness, and the power over bitterness. Again, now I need you to turn to Ephesians 4.32. We'll wrap this up, but it's Ephesians 4.32. I purposely left that verse out when we started. But it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. For a Christian, forgiveness should not even be a choice. It shouldn't even be an option. We're to do it. Why? Because God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us. If anyone should understand what a Christian's life is like, is us. We go. We have ups and downs and trials and burdens and tribulations. It ought to be that a Christian is more compassionate to another Christian. You know what? The bitterness thing, that's of the world. 
I had enough hate and bitterness when I was lost uh, that would fill up this room. Again, that's of the world. Christians should not be bitter. I get it. I've had to battle with that thing too, so I understand. Battles, struggles, burdens we all face should compel us to be more sympathetic and understanding towards each other. The Bible says, for all of sin, come short of the glory of God. Unfortunately, I fall every day. Christ told Peter to forgive how many times? 490 times. Forgiveness should be readily available whether a person asks for it or not. Whether they know they've hurt you or not. You're not perfect, neither are the rest of us. If you're unwilling to forgive, then I invite you to take a trip back to Calvary where you met Jesus Christ the day that you got saved and remember all that you were forgiven for. I read an article, it was in Altona 30-some years ago. Uh, a guy, he, uh, he took two teens hostage. He beat them. He left them inside of a burning house. One died, <coughs> and the other made it out. Definitely an unforgivable act, but listen what Mother said of the deceased teens. Forgiveness does not excuse their actions. Forgiveness stops their action from destroying your heart. That's the power of forgiveness. To forgive means simply to just let it go. Again, I mentioned it, the discretion of a man defers his anger and his glory to pass over transgression. Let it go. A preacher said this, I forgive, or the reason I forgive is because I've been forgiven. If someone is, not will, or is unwilling to forgive, it may be a sign that they're not forgiven. You can take that however it is. Again, the Bible says, follow peace with, with all men and holiness, without which, without which no man shall see the Lord. You cannot show the love of Christ with bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, and that you also love one another. By this all men shall know that you are my disciples, if you have one, love one to another. You love Christ this evening? You know what he says in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. He's commanded us to love the brethren and also to forgive. Not only did God forgive us our sins and offenses, but he's also forgotten them. I'm glad that God doesn't say, that's it, I'm done with you. And I thank God for 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How many pages of grievances of sin would I have or the Lord have against me if he kept track of all those things? Again, that's the power of forgiveness. It lets it go. Forgiveness offers a peace in your soul. It restores relationships and sweetens fellowship. Just a couple things here. These, these things I ran, these are not mine, but they're, they're very good. Um, well, this part's mine, because it is good. Isaiah 53 descriptively tells us how much that forgiveness cost. God allowed man to physically assault his sin. Christ willingly took that assault. Christ took our sins upon himself. Christ did not even have to be restrained as they nailed him to that cross. God then turned his back on his son. And Christ actually accused his own father of forsaking him while he hung shamefully on that cross because of our sin. He had to turn his back on, on the Lord. That's the power of forgiveness. That's the cost of forgiveness. Each one of us can forgive any offense or hurt committed against us, but we simply choose not to. Isn't it time to forgive your offender, not for their sake, but your own? Again, let the power of forgiveness set you free from its chains. It's time to pardon the one that's hurt you. It's a command by God to forgive. The deceit of bitterness is that it will have you thinking because someone has pierced you, I've got to pierce them back. 
Paul said in 2 Timothy 4.14, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him uh, according to his works. The Lord do it. Not me, not anyone else. Let God handle your affairs. I read a t-shirt one time and said, I'm going to let God handle this thing because if I don't, I'll go to prison. And so let God handle your affairs. Don't worry about it. Forgiveness is canceling a debt you think somebody owes you. Here you go. Somebody said this about forgiveness. Resist, resisting revenge, not returning evil for evil, wishing them well, grieving at their calamities, praying for their welfare, seeking reconciliation if possible, and coming to their aid in distress. It's a tall order. But Paul said, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Here are some things about forgiveness we're done. This is what you need to think. When I forgive, I resolve never to bring up that circumstance again to the one that I forgave, to anyone else or even myself. Again, this is just something that I've I've read and I I took it because it pertained to this thing. Forgiveness is a closed book. It says, I've let it go. It means you will not bring it up in an intense conversation to get the upper hand. Leave it in the past. Again, this holds true, especially in a marriage. You'll choose to remember the sin committed against you. And here's what he means by this. We don't have the divine capability to forget everything, but we do have the spirit-filled capability to take a thought and cast it down. That means that when you've chosen to forgive someone, should an evil thought about that person arise, tell yourself immediately, no, I've forgiven that person. I have re- I've released them, and I refuse to reverse that thing in my mind. Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind I said this about Naomi. God, you did this. God, you left me empty. God uh, testified against me. The Almighty God afflicted me. That was, those were her statements in chapter 1. And she believed these things. But consider Joseph. He was betrayed by his brother, sold into slavery. Falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, thrown into prison and forgotten about. Again, lots definitely went wrong, uh, wrong in his life. But here's a statement in Genesis 50:20. But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring it to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. But you know, God told him to forgive. Told him to do it, and he did it. Had Joseph chose to get bitter about all his misfortune, that plan that God had would have been messed up. You know, God has a plan for each and every one of us. But if we allow bitterness to grip us, to control us, to possess us. You'll not be all that God has or wants you to do. If you were to put off bitterness and put on forgiveness, our Lord commands it. Let's pray. God, we love you again. Thank you for the day and thank you for the message, Lord. I think that every church probably deals with bitterness on some level. And um, if it's not cut off, uh, Lord, it'll just manifest itself and it will become a pandemic. It affects others. And Lord, it's just not a—it's just not a good thing. Help us, Lord, to uh, to forgive, simply to forgive, because we've been forgiven. And so I'll just uh, take what was said here tonight. I pray you'd plant it in our hearts. May we dwell on these things again. Thank you for each one here. We love you in Christ's name. Amen.